Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Bushes Breakaway is brought to you by the new year and every one of you. Thank you so much to everyone who listens. Thanks so much for making this a wonderful year for Bullish Rich Breakaway. Thank you so much to our Patreon subscribers to making it possible to do so many cool things like our meetup, make these awesome Christmas sweaters, and and so many more things. Happy New Year, everyone. Here's a new episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway, the first one of 2019. Hey, Bushwick Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Bushwick Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here in the new year with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello. Mm, technically the new year. 2019, we are recording uh, in 2018, but really, who's counting? Who is counting? No one cares. This is being released literally at midnight in 1201. 2019. First Rangers podcast out in 2019, by the way. Just throwing it out. How about that? I know. There could only be one. Great job by us. Recorded what a day. Really early. What a day. There's a lot to go over. We have a great interview later. Um, of course, I'm misremembering <laughs> his name. It's Ryan Stipson. That's correct. I have it in my head. Uh, where he comes on and talks about the Buffalo Sabres, and we also go into a little bit of analytics. It's one of our better interviews. Would you agree with me, Gregory? I would. We should also mention Ryan has a book coming out, which is a big reason why we had him on the podcast. It's How I Lost My Dad. Oh, no. I mean, uh, that's Ryan. Yes, Ryan is having a book coming out. We talk about it on the show. Anyway. Uh, let's get into Ranger talk before we, we get to Ryan and a lot going on this week. First things first, Leas Anderson was set down to the AHL. You and I discussed this on the podcast multiple weeks in a row that Leas wasn't really getting the time he needed on the fourth line. It was probably better for him to go down to the AHL at this point. And I think we made the right decision despite, uh, me not feeling too great about the, the Leas pick. You know, it's, it's time for him to go down there and develop. I'd rather him play than not play. Yeah, it, it. I don't think him getting demoted is in any way uh, indictment on his stature as a prospect. I don't think it's changed. There have been plenty of prospects in all sports that have struggled in their first real cup of tea in the major leagues, be it hockey, basketball, football. One of those prospects uh, being Alex Rodriguez, by the way, sent up and down multiple times in his first year. I don't know if you know this, but Patrick Mahomes sat the first 15 games of his career. I heard you, I heard he's terrible. Is that true? He's, some, he's the worst. Some guy he told is. me he'd be terrible. And, uh, uh, he's, he's bad. Right, he is bad. Right. Just, just for a second, imagine the <laughs> Chicago Bears with either Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you mean the Super Bowl champions, Chicago Bears? They, would they lose a game? Uh, I think they would win the Super Bowl. I, I'd be, there's not a, like a power team this year outside of like the Saints when they're really rolling. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the Rams. 
Any, anyway, Leah Sanderson. All right, yeah, Leah Sanderson. NFL podcast. It's a new year. Let's focus as much as we can. We'll keep our tangents down to a minimal until baseball season starts, and then you guys are fucked. Yeah, you're screwed. Um, Leah Sanderson, I, it wasn't working, which begs the question, why did it take so long to send him back down? I'm not, I'm not going to get angry that, the rain, that a year of his entry-level contract has been burnt. That stuff, it, it doesn't bother me because I don't think it's – I, I get that in some way you need to have a at least the outline of a plan with how you're going to attack the 2021 expansion draft, right? You can't just say yeah, absolutely. it doesn't matter. It's two years plus away. We can't be thinking about it at this time. I, I get that, but it, I don't think it's necessarily something you need to get that worried about right now in terms of Leah Sanderson now has to be protected during that draft. First of all, it's more than two years away. It is three off seasons away. In the next three off seasons, we should have a better understanding as to what kind of player Leah Anderson is. Is he even a player worth protecting? It, I'm not. He's not going to be fully developed in the next three years, but we'll have a much clearer picture. And if you look at the Rangers roster now, of everyone on the roster, who can we definitively say, bar none, will be a New York Ranger in the off season of 2021? Philip Hedl. Pretty safe to say he will be. I think Brady Shea is under contract. I don't think you can uh, say that about him. I don't think he's – it's a bar none situation with Brady Shea. Right. But I'm saying at least he's under contract, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, Mika Zibanejad under contract. Uh, Brett Howden will be under contract. Brett, but Kravstov will be the, the last one there, I believe. And But Kravstov, I think, uh, will be exempt because obviously he cannot – like he can't garner playing. He, I mean, he shouldn't garner playing time this year. I guess there is a possibility he'll get, he'll get nine he games. might. Probably get nine games. Uh, yeah, but so Kravstov should, by all accounts, still be under entry level deals. So he should be exempt. So guys that shouldn't be under entry level deals that won't be exempt. The Rangers right now don't have ten of them. The, we don't know what the Ranger roster is going to look like in three off seasons. So. I will not be upset that Leah Anderson had a year of control under his entry level burnt because the Rangers wanted to give him more than a nine game look this season. That's fine. Well, on top of that, Greg, just to like make a point about Leah, like what if Leah came up here and he started playing really well and he started meshing and like, and then you kept him down at the HL the whole year, not knowing if he could hang at the NHL level, like he would have just been maybe, maybe cooking down there doing his thing on the first line and you wouldn't know what you had on the NHL level. So it's a risk and a reward you take by, picking a player like Lee Sanderson and bringing him up to the NHL level caliber. The only thing I will say to that is it, it, it didn't feel like Leas definitely struggled when he played. Right. I, I, I don't think anyone no, yeah. can stand here and look you in the eyes and say, Leas Anderson was actually good. But at the same time, outside of when the Rangers were really snake bitten by injuries for that five game stretch a couple of weeks ago, did Leas Anderson really get a shot? Did we really give Leas Anderson a firm look in no. the top nine. No, definitely was not. Leas, was Leas Anderson given any kind of a leash to succeed? Not really. I mean, he was kind of on the fourth line most of the time, wasn't he? There was like yeah, some games he, he was on the third line, but really not getting the true playing time he probably deserves. He was hamstrung, and that's that's how David Quinn wanted to play it, which that's how David Quinn has played it with just about every rookie not named Brett Howden. He's hamstrung them to begin their Ranger career. I mean, how many podcasts did we spend talking about Four. how Philip Heedle deserved to have top six minutes before he was actually given top six minutes. About four or five, I think, weeks in a row. We kind of yeah, did that so thing that, where we had that running that's a solid. That's a solid month yep. that we were talking about Philip Heedle, who the numbers actually said was playing 
well above his spot in the lineup. And for whatever reason, David Quinn didn't want to move him up. So Leah Sanderson wasn't playing at Philip Heedle's level on the fourth line. Therefore, Leah Sanderson didn't really get a look outside of the fourth line. And that's fine. But if you're I, the, my only problem with the Leah Sanderson call up was if you were never really going to give him a look, then why call him up? That's the, that's, that's really my only problem with it. I, I don't mind that he was called up. I don't mind that they played him for more than nine games. The only thing that bothers me is he wasn't given a chance. It's like it's like in baseball calling up your best starting pitching prospect and then only having him pitch in mop-up duty out of the bullpen. Yeah, It just didn't that, make any sense to me. That happens every year, literally every year. No, but even starting pitcher prospects, if, if a team is so worried about innings, they usually give them a high-leverage relieving role. I'm saying imagine you oh, call Oh, you're up saying mop-up. Got it. Yeah, call, calling up your best pitching prospect and only pitching him in games where you're either up by 10 or down by 10. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I was uh in my head high le- high leverage of the reliever role there, my bad. Yeah, I'm I'm not talking like when the Rays called up David Price and they would give him a setup role in their World Series year. I'm I'm saying imagine when the Rays called up David Price, he only pitched in blowouts. Yeah, and that's kinda what we did with Leas, right? We kinda just didn't put him in the situation. He didn't give he didn't give a shot. We didn't give him a shot. And I again I know Leas Anderson has become a hot button issue, which is silly. It's it's just dumb, guys. He's a twenty year old kid. This time last year he was playing in the world juniors, looking great in the world juniors and help Sweden finish second. So I, to say so much has changed in a year where Leas Anderson is now a bust is just fucking ridiculous. I think we That's, also have to look back to your point that we wouldn't have got Heedle if we didn't take Anderson. Just, I, if they probably just, don't happen I, without the one or the other. Right. I, I mean, it, that is all un, until we get someone from management to come on this podcast and say, so we think Leas had a super high floor, which allowed us to take a huge swing on a kid at 21 that most draft experts did not have in the first round. You know what's pretty funny about draft. that, though? Uh, I was listening to an interview with Leas. I think he did, like, the player form or whatever. And mm-hmm. he said that the Detroit Red Wings had told him that if the Rangers didn't take him, he was getting taken by the Detroit Red Wings, like, a couple picks later. Which I think is like, oh, hmm. So That's the other thing. Us. Like, Leas, Leas Anderson was a unanimous top ten. Like, it wasn't a shock that Leas Anderson got taken in the top ten. It was a shock for us because, I, you know, not that we're prospect nerds at all. But a couple of people we knew that were, were a little surprised that told us that. So it was like on the fence about the situation. But Leas was going to be taken two or three picks later if, if we didn't take him. So he, he's unanimous talent. Everyone knows he's a talented kid. He's obviously got a yeah, lot of heart and, and grit, which we look for. We're still talking. We're still talking about a fucking 20 year old, a 20 year old that has produced at every level he's played at. He was really good for the Wolfpack before the Rangers called him up. He was really good in Sweden last year. He was dynamic for Sweden in the World Juniors last year. It's not like this kid has struggled everywhere he went. We're going to talk later on this podcast, again, with Ryan Stimson, and we have a conversation about Casey Middlestad, who has indeed struggled at various levels of his development. So there are a lot more red flags with Casey Middlestad than there are with Leas Anderson. I just – he's 20. I I don't understand why everyone is rushing to declare Leas Anderson a good or bad pick. It it doesn't make any sense. And you – Cannot use this cup of tea he got with the New York Rangers no. that he was just demoted for as any kind of barometer. Because, again, David Quinn and the coaching staff did not give him a chance to succeed. Well, let's actually he played talk about, a super limited role. Let's talk about Quinn because we went into this year thinking, like, okay, the only thing this team needs to do is play the kids, right? Like, just play the kids at a high-level situation and let's develop through there. That's really, it, seemed, it seemed that. It did seem that way. That has not really been the case, I think, watching the Rangers this year. Um, you tweeted earlier or someone tweeted earlier that Heedle will be out of the game 
uh, today when you're listening to this, or two days, or yesterday. Sorry, it sure it sure does sound like Heedle. I I believe it was Colin Stevenson saying Heedle's going to be the scratch. Yeah, which is uh, the Quinbin technology, which is Quinn binning somebody to get them to be motivated again, is a very interesting strategy to me. We've talked about this millions and millions of times. I don't want to go through it again. But Heedle is a person I want to see out there every single night. I think he's the one person I would say you cannot Quinbin. And to have him do that is really kind of a head scratcher where I'm like, David, what are you doing, man? What you doing, Well, buddy? here's I – have, I, have, I have thoughts about this. And I've, I've actually – when I wasn't watching football all day, hoping to God that I was going to win a little money. And we'll know by the time this podcast drops if I actually won money. Mm-hmm. Feel free to ask me. I'll either – I'll have a hard opinion about it one way or another. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you will. I've, I've, I've thought about – because we've talked about this before as well, right? Mm-hmm. Why – I've, I've asked you this question. Why in hockey is it – that we care about people playing a full 82-game Exactly, game and season. we shouldn't. But we we shouldn't, right? At the same time, while I think that, then people say he's hitting the w- rookie wall, he's looked a little sluggish the last couple games. I'm not sure about that. It, it, he hasn't looked all that different to me. Uh, but there's one thing I do know, and it's that Brett Howden has collided head-on with the rookie wall. And for some reason – it feels like, and this has been the case all season. I don't know what it is, but it feels like Brett Howden has been playing by different rules than Philip Hedl. And I'm curious as I'm curious your opinion on why, if you first of all agree, and then second, if you do agree, why you think that is. First of all, I do agree. Um, one of the reasons I think that is is because Quinn has, and this is going to sound strange, possibly higher expectations for Hedl. Whereas he could stick Brett Howden on the fourth line and not feel bad about it. Or if he did it with Hedl, I guess he would feel a little bad. Or he expects him to be like the star player where he expects Howden to kind of be this role player. I mean, against the Flyers last week, as we talked on the podcast, Brett Howden missed like an open empty netter. Like just missed it. And to me, that's like a benching. Just personally, I was like, we've seen some people get Quinn binned for a lot of reasons. If you miss an open net with a wide open puck and you're a rookie and you're trying to learn lessons, you're getting binned. But... Brett Howden was uh, marched out there day in, day out again, and he's just been put out there, I guess, in, in practice. Uh, he's kind of the coach's kid and just does what he's told. It's kind of a yes for fast light. Is that a, a weird reasoning? I, I, I don't think it's weird. I, and I, I, I understand what you're saying, right? The Rangers are treating Philip Heedle differently because they see Philip Heedle as a foundational talent. They right? see him as like so, the top three guy going forward. Right. So your expectations for Philip are higher, which means Philip has to do more to prove it. Um, but – Howden got off to a hot start. No one's here to deny that. He's been a great story all season. I'm fucking thrilled that the Rangers have yet another 20-year-old center prospect who seems to be able to swim in the NHL as a rookie. It's fantastic. It it is great for business. This is this is in no way supposed to come off as a what the fuck Brett Howden sucks kind of rant. In no in no way. We both like Brett Howden. None, none, none. But at the same time, Howden hasn't been perfect this season, and yet not only has he seemingly always had a top nine role since about the second week of the season, he's gotten power play time. He's even, I think, gotten some penalty kill time. Absolutely. It, it seems like Brett Howden's leash is just miles longer than Philip Heedle's. And again, it, it, I'm happy that both of them are developing. So whatever, whatever seems to be happening with Quinn and Howden and Heedle, at least it's working. It is just really odd to me that – Heedle is getting the game off before Howden because I feel like Howden's game has changed a bit. The league is figuring him out a little. And to his credit, he is playing through it. And he is still not a detriment to the New York Rangers. He's 
He's playing well. I just it is odd to me that Heedle is taking a seat before Brett Howden would. And I am curious to ever find out what the reasoning is there. I it just feels I, like it, punish punish the kid like you have two children, right? I, right, but th- it doesn't feel like punishment. It it I think the Rangers are legit saying Heedle looks a little overwhelmed. I this is an opinion I don't necessarily agree with, but okay. if I'm Quinn, I could be saying Keto looks a little overwhelmed. Let's give him a gay to catch game to catch his legs. I don't want to ruin the kid as a rookie. And that that's a fine mentality to have. I'm here for it. I don't need Filipino to play all 82 games for the New York Rangers this season. But I need Filipino and Brett Howden to be playing by the same rules. For me, it feels like you're you're these two parents that you know, and one of their kids is like the A plus student who gets a sixteen hundred on the SAT, and the other kid's kind of like that average kid who gets the B's and like goes to art classes and such. And then when the, the B plus student doesn't really get any grades, nothing happens. But when the A plus student doesn't get A's, they just ground them. That's just what happens. Right. And yeah, we've that. talked, we've, we've actually made it. It's, we make that analogy a lot too, right? Because we Have said we like, that? we're expecting Mark Stahl to be a D minus this year. So we're really happy that he's a C plus. I'm really happy with Mark Stahl. But by whereas, the way, the Mark Stahl goal. Oof. Mark Stahl's been good this year. What the fuck? Like that, it's crazy to say, but Mark Stahl. Earlier this season, we were saying Mark Stahl is the one range of defenseman that you should be looking for excuses to find nights out. I don't know how – this is something I've never expected to say on this podcast. I don't know how you can take Mark Stahl out of the New York Rangers line. Kind of with you. Uh, the the rush with Mark Stahl in the back and the goal he shot was like – excuse me? Did I just say I would, I would still very much like Mark Stahl not to be playing with Neil Pionk, yeah, but at the same time, you guys have heard that rant before. Yeah, not doing it. Every, every game we watch, we're given a new – reason why that rant is relevant you just don't need me to go on that rant anymore I'm not doing it um, but yeah I, but i'm he, glad that we have this different expectations for players like it's just we agree that that's what's happening with the coaching staff they have these different expectations when they're not being met they treat the players differently my my i again i'm not necessarily angry that filipino is going to sit a game and it it's it always will look bad that cody mcleod will re- remain in the lineup while Heedle sits a game that I don't think is the purpose. Like Heedle is sitting for a reason, and David Quinn is conv- convinced that his reason is just. So it's not that he's trying to get Cody McLeod in the lineup over Philip Heedle. It's just that Cody McLeod is his vehicle to send a message to Philip Heedle. So I, I get that. I can I can separate that. I just I don't quite agree with the analysis of the coaching staff that Philip Heedle is hitting the rookie wall at least. I would say he's not hitting it as hard as Brett Howden. Howden is the guy we should be looking to give a break before Philip Heedle. With you. And I want Heedle playing every game, as we said. Uh, But there's a reason why you want Heedle playing every game, because we watch him play and he's dynamic. Yeah, the guy's a monster on the puck. He's he's also an excellent skater. He's hard to take off. His forecheck is really good uh, for for, for his age. By the way, Kraftsov and him are the same age, by the way. They're the same fucking age. It's insane. It's nuts. Even when Hedl doesn't appear on the score sheet with a point in his column, he he is – you can see him making a difference on the ice. And this is, again, where we talk about advanced stats and the eye test. You don't need a chart to see how well Philip Hedl has played this year. It's noticeable. He stands out when he's on the ice. So it, it, it is confusing to me that – the Rangers coaching staff thinks he needs a break. I, I'm fine that they think that way. I just wish they felt that way with everyone. And that's the thing that I have the most trouble coming to grips with with David Quinn. Next week, I'd like to get into 
the Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad sort of trade conversation. But I think we should. I, say- I kind of want to do it tonight. I think it needs to be had. I think we need to have it tonight. I got time. Let's do it. All right. So- I just. Right. I'll let you, you – you go first. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I, at the beginning of this year, I think said on this podcast that I would be okay trading Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad. And now I'm at the point where I don't think the return you would get on either player would be appropriate no matter what it was. Almost. Uh, unless you're getting like, you know, a godfather package, which you'll never get. Those packages do not exist in the NHL. Uh, you would not get one. Teams are not going to pay them. Like, you wouldn't get the top four prospects from some team for Chris Kreider right now. And a first round pick. And that's what I'd want if that was something that was going to be played. Chris Kreider's playing maybe the best hockey of his career alongside Kevin Hayes, which we will not talk about in this podcast any further. And Mika Zibanejad, boy, that trade uh, for Derek Broussard is looking more and more like a robbery every single day. Because Mika Zibanejad, who may be healthy and fully now, is just an absolute force and could be a core piece for this team going forward. Uh, I was on record saying, hey, I'm, look- I'm here for the full breakdown. But I was also on record on the summer saying, I don't think this team is so bad, and I think this team has a lot of talent. And I've kind of finally come to like a meeting point of those two takes, which is I'm ready to build a core around Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, and possibly another player uh, that I won't talk about going forward with the chance of getting a superstar such as uh, Panarin, or maybe even a defenseman from the Sharks. Who knows? I don't think so, but who knows? Uh, where I'm not ready to trade them because I don't think there's going to be any price you can get, you can pay the Rangers that'll be actually worth it in the long run for the team. There you go. So I think the Mika Zibanejad part of this conversation is super easy. I don't think you can trade Mika without first coming to a contract agreement with Kevin Hayes because there's no scenario where you can lose both, right? Nope. We agree there. There is zero scenario where long-term the New York Rangers could possibly be a better hockey team without both Mika Zibanejad and Kevin Hayes long-term. That's correct, because centers are the hardest thing to come by in the NHL. We agree with that? We agree. And even with the Rangers having Brett Howden, Filipito, Leah Anderson, and Vitaly Kravstov's playing center in World Juniors, and he's been getting looks at center in the KHL, so it's not to rule him totally out of that conversation as well. At the same time, it is unfair to those four to expect them to produce like Hayes and Zibanejad are producing right now. Nope. Yeah, they're they're doing it at the highest level against the best competition. We have four legitimate players right now that I think are are core players that could be for this team for the next five six years. That's Chris Kreider, Zibanejad, Kevin Hayes, and Brady Shea. Would am I missing anyone there? Obviously, I put you on that conversation. I'm talking. I was I was missing the kids. I meant more like the veterans. But I'm at a point with Filipino where I'm convinced that guy is going to be very good for a very long time. I'm with you. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to say he wouldn't be. Just all the talents are there. You can see it. So we agree that we're not trading Zibanejad without a long-term extension for Kevin Hayes. Yes, and uh, and the only way I'd trade Zibanejad is that godfather offer. We're talking like three first-round picks, like prospects, and it's got to be like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Right, (laughs) but the second second part of this conversation is we agree there's zero zero chance – Kevin Hayes is going to take less money than Mika Zibanejad. There's no way. Why on earth would he do that? What does Mika make? Why? 4.5? Uh, I think Mika's over 5. Is it 5.3? I think it's, maybe it's 5.2. Um, it, it, it's over 5, less than 5.5, if memory serves correctly. We could look this up. We have computers right in front of us. We do. Anyway, Mika's, not, Mika's six not making 6. And Hayes, I think, is getting over 6 at this point. He's getting so 6 we, or 6.5, for sure. We, we agree that Mika... Under contract long-term, will definitely make less money than Kevin Hayes. So then I don't understand why you would ever want to trade a player who, what, at worst, is as good as Kevin Hayes? Better. At worst? 
Yeah, I would just say, yeah, that, that's the way. That's a good way to put it. Mika's just more dynamic in general. I, I, I don't understand why anyone is quick to trade Mika with the caveat that, well, we have Kevin Hayes. It's fine. Hayes is going to cost more. And Mika's been this good for a long time. It's just that he's kept getting shortchanged by injuries. Now that he's healthy, we're seeing Mika Zibanejad. And we're like, Jesus fucking Christ, that's a top-line center. He's he can be the best center on a playoff team, and I don't think that's there's no reason that couldn't be the case. I don't think that's really a hot take. I I don't even want to argue with you. I think so that's then true. Why why would you want to trade a 25 year old top line center who's already under contract for long term for below market value? Like it, when you when you line up all the reasons for why all this stuff is why other teams would value him. Why aren't you fucking valuing him? How long do we want this rebuild to be? And this is going to get to my next point, which is. If your answer is the Rangers won't be good until year three or four of the Mika Zibanejad contract, why are we even talking about signing Artemi Panarin? I don't There's know. no re- it, if you want to trade the Chris Kreider conversation is a little bit more nuanced, right? Because it's a super team friendly deal. He's 28 already, and he's only under contract for one more year. So there is a scenario where if I squint my eyes, I can see why. If the right package came along, you could trade Chris Kreider. It's got to be right, though. It's really got to be an an offer. It's got to be perfect. You're you're a little drooling a little bit. And, Ryan, you and I have talked about this before. I am not of the opinion that you have to trade every expiring contract in order to recoup value. I think I've long said. I usually am, honestly. Hands up. I know you are. We've had this conversation with Keith Yandel. We've had this conversation with – we had it with McDonough last year. We had it with Rick Nash. We've we've had it with Kevin Hayes. I I know where you are. You're always – if that guy's not coming back, I need to ship him out. I need to. And that that's fine and good. I, but I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with myself this time. I, I, I believe I'd rather have Chris Kreider here till the end. And I, I'm of the opinion that I, we know what Chris Kreider can get back in trade. It, it's nothing that's going to blow my socks off. If somehow the Rangers could get, say, Jacob Truba for Chris Kreider, then that's a different conversation. But that trade never happens, nope. especially in season. Why would the Winnipeg Jets trade Jacob Truba this year if they're trying uh, to win the Stanley they Cup? They wouldn't because they're a fucking amazing team. Right, Cursing so today. Eh, that's, the same. that's fine. So if if you're not you're not getting Truba from the Jets because the Jets cannot make their own team better by trading Jacob Truba this year. Nope. So they're going to run the clock out until at least next offseason with Jacob Truba. That's fine. My thing with I've long said this on this podcast. I don't believe the New York Rangers think they're going to be a bad team in 2019, 2020. I think the Rangers see themselves as a playoff team that year and a team that might not be Stanley Cup ready, but on the cusp. And if that's how the Rangers feel, the only way they're going to be that team is with Chris Kreider and something else. And that's when you get into the Artemi Panarin conversations. I get that you can say trading Kreider, recouping those assets, and then signing Panarin is still an upgrade over Kreider. But you know what's better than trading Kreider for those assets? Kreider and Panarin on the same line between Mika Zibanej. And Kreider's playing right now like he's got full stride. If he continues to play like this, uh, that's a scary team. Right. You'll, you'll at least make noise. I'm not sure you'll win the cup. You'll make noise. You'll make noise. And that's a fucking terrifying top line. It, Zibanejad and Kreider are making Jesper Foss look like fucking Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> you look so good. I just it, – it, and my other thing is if you are of the opinion that the Rangers should, tr- should do a full strip down, trade Kreider, trade Zibanejad, trade Hayes, trade Zuccarello, trade everyone that you can get value for and reset this clock and we'll do this again when Hank's contract expires. That's fine, but then don't tell me that the Rangers should also sign Artemi Panarin because that goes against everything you're proposing. 
The only reason you bring in Artemi Panarin is for him to be a foundational piece for the other stars that you have. But if you don't have Mika Zibanejad... Yeah, what are you doing? And also, if you're Artemi Panarin, I get that you want to play in New York. There are two other teams in the metropolitan area you can play for that have guys like Matt Barzal and Nico Heischer. Yeah. And by the way, if you're a millionaire, that's a 45-minute flight from Boston to New York City. You can come here whenever the fuck you want. It's not that hard. I got to just point this out real quick, and I know we hate the Islanders, but it is pretty hilarious. They beat the Leafs 4 nothing. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and not, a, not a great look. Barzal's a monster. That guy is going to be good. That guy's a problem for Ranger fans for years to come. Yeah, so. and if the Islanders are smart, they're signing him to a long-term extension as soon as they like can. Like tomorrow, please. Um, or not, actually. Trade him to us. Thanks. But that that's the thing. It's If you're doing a full strip-down rebuild, there is no point of signing Artemi Panarin because you're going – and, and, and if you're Artemi Panarin, there's no point for you to up with a team that's doing a full strip-down rebuild. Nope. I get that I get that money talks. But if you're the Rangers, why are you paying money to one player when you're going to hope to be good three years into that contract? And if and if you're even just trying to trade Kreider, you're hoping to be good two years into that contract? Because if 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 your main move this trade deadline is trading Hayes and Kreider – and then signing Panera in this offseason. What do you what do you have? You have nothing. You haven't you haven't made yourself better for next year. No, not at all. Yeah, I don't think either of those players are going anywhere the more I think about it. I think Matt Rucarella is definitely going. I uh, I I think I again I this isn't this is just what I think. It sure the Rick Harpinella article about how I, I get that they couldn't talk extension until January first. But Hayes not knowing and Hayes' agent not knowing what the Rangers want to do, that's either playing it super close to the vest or there's a reason why Jeff Gordon isn't talking to them. Right? Like, uh, yeah, we're not sponsored this week, but I do want to say that article was a little bit like, hmm, interesting. It, it, makes, it makes you think that either the agent and Kevin Hayes are playing it close to the vest and it must take some super coaching to get Kevin Hayes to play it that close to the vest. But – for the agent to say, I'm not sure what the New York Rangers are thinking, to me that signals the Rangers have made a decision because you can't agree to an extension, but you could at least tell the agent like, hey, January 1st, we'd love to talk extension. Yeah, let's get in a room and start figuring this out. Yeah, so for the agent to say we have no idea what the New York Rangers are doing, to me that sounds like the agent knows exactly what the New York Rangers are doing and it's not going to involve the New York Rangers. Seems that way. All right, it well, seems that way. Let's go to our interview. We can continue this, uh, pick this up next week because I feel like this is uh, something we could do. What, like forty-five more minutes on? Uh, yeah, I just, it just, it's crazy to me that someone would say you would want to trade Zibanejad and Kreider, or even one of the two, and then sign Panarin this offseason and expect your team to magically be significantly better. I'm with you. It, it doesn't make sense. I love Panarin. He's a superstar. I'm not saying Chris Kreider is as good as Artemi Panarin. No way. But Chris Kreider is maybe seventy percent of Artemi Panarin. That's fair. I think that's fair. Chris, Chris is like a very, you know, he's not the shooter that our Panarin is, but he's got the speed. He's obviously got the body. Yeah, so he's a different type of player for sure. Yeah, I just, and to your point, we've been around the NHL long enough to know that blockbuster trades don't happen the same way in hockey like they do in other sports. No, they don't. If you're not going to get the assets to make the worth the trade, why are we even talking about? Yeah, and I don't think those assets. You, you find me a trade where it actually worked out. Look what Ottawa got for Eric Carlson. Not like it was, you know, not like Eric Carlson's been like himself this year, but he's been good. But 
There's no there's no in season blow up. Holy shit, trade except for when the Rangers traded for Marty St. Louis in Game Two first round picks. All right. Um, well, I guess we did to make the cup. Whatever. Let's go to the interview. Uh, Ryan Stimson. He has a new book out and transition. Hey, and we're back with our first guest of the day. We have Ryan Stimson of the Athletic Buffalo. He has just put out a new book called Tape to Space: Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. Came out December 18th, but you can pick it up right now on Amazon.com. It's got five stars currently, and you can go give it also a rating yourself after you read it. Ryan, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Thanks for uh, taking the time, having me on today. Appreciate it. Um, just want a quick add. You're only allowed to leave a review if it is five stars. If yeah. it's below that, you can't leave it. They, so. see, they listen to this podcast. They know. We only allow, like, we only answer questions if people leave five stars on the iTunes. So that's, uh, that's there we how, go. There it's we like go. a cheating the system, but like help your pal out kind of deal. Right. It's just like gaming course. You got to game the reviews. Exactly. So. You get it. So uh, we brought you on talk firstly and foremost about the Buffalo Sabres and the surprise year they're having. Am I right in saying the surprise year? Uh, I think they had a surprising three weeks. I think outside of that, I think they've kind of played largely to most expectations. They've been, uh, you know, largely, you know, kind of a bottom third to average team at five on five. Uh, they've had some, some pretty good special teams playing. Um, they've, you know, outside of that streak, they've kind of been who we thought they've been. They've been fun. They've scored a bunch and they've been competitive, but, uh, you know, ultimately they're they're kind of propped up by a couple percentages at both ends of the ice. You know, Carter Hutton's been uh, amazing. Linus Allmark's been very well, very good as well. And their top line just, you know, won't stop scoring. So that kind of papers over a lot of cracks within the team that, uh, you know, slowly but surely we're starting to see more of those. Yeah, Ryan, we saw this earlier this year with the Rangers as well. When they were on their 9-1-1 streak, everyone was very excited, and yet the analytics were – telling a completely different story and I don't I don't know if a team has personified that more than when the Sabres were on their win streak because they're winning all these games but by almost every measure they were one of the three worst teams in the league while they were winning all these games yeah and I think it's funny that they were one of the three worst teams because I think they only won three in regulation so you know a lot of those games are overtime or shootouts and you know once you largely get to Overtime, it's you know, it's basically a coin flip at that point. Um, so they just uh, you know kept their coin kept coming up, you know, heads or tails, whatever they were calling, and uh, it, it was a fun couple weeks. But uh, and obviously, it's great to bank those points. Um, but now it's time to you know seriously like evaluate the team and the roster, uh, you know, going forward. Well, the Sabers are the Sabers are four four and two in their last ten. Um, do you expect this team to make a playoff run, or are we just going to regress to the mean here of being Buffalo? Well, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you have to, I, I mean, they have those points banked. So, you know, like as, you know, organization, it's obviously important to, you know, show the fans, you know, show the players that you're making progress, you know, you're turning the corner. Um, I think that they have some, you know, this has been a year and, you know, we're only almost halfway over with it, but it's been a year of kind of discovery about like how good is Rasmus Dahlin going to be, right? He's been amazing. How good is Casey Middlestat? Like he's been all right, um, but now you know you're, you're seeing some faces that maybe some fans didn't expect to be his contributors. You know, Lawrence Pilot, who's come up from Rochester, has been phenomenal in, in you know about eight or nine games or so. Um, 
you know, they've had the whole Patrick Berglund debacle that's kind of, you know, got a sour taste in folks' mouth after the Ryan O'Reilly trade, which most folks weren't really happy with to begin with. Um, you know, so it, it's been kind of up and down. And, you know, some certain things, certainly some things will regress. Jeff Skinner is not going to continue shooting, you know, 17, 18, 19%, whatever he's been shooting. Are you sure? Um, <laughs> well, if I knew, I'd you know, probably be, uh, you know, making money off that somehow, some way, but, uh, <laughs> um, he, he, it, it's, it's likely he won't. We'll just, I'll, 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 uh, safeguard it that way. There you go. That's a nice um, phrasing for the blog boys. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, but you know, I think at this point, you know, you want to see them start to hang around, be more in games from a lot of the metrics we, we look at that we know are important. Um, and rather than, you know, kind of just be in love with this top line that they have and be in love with everything that Darlene does. That's amazing. How have you been able to weigh the difference between the Skinner trade and the O'Reilly trade? Because when, when the Sabres made the Skinner trade, my, my knee jerk reaction was, man, that's a good piece of business. They don't really give up a whole lot that I feel like they're going to miss, but then they turn around and trade Ryan O'Reilly. And at the same time, the package, I think to put it lightly was underwhelming. And it hasn't it hasn't aged any better than that. It, is it is it really like on one hand good news, on one hand bad news? Because boy, Skinner's been better than advertised, and yet you, you kind of wonder what this team would be like if they also had Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, I mean, well, the Sabers, you know, they basically kind of rearranged. You know, they did a lot of revolving door moves this summer. You know, he had a Vander Kane go out, Ryan O'Reilly go out, so you bring in Connor Sherry. You bring in Jeff Skinner, and it's like, okay, you know, where was the move that was going to make you better, right? I mean, so you're kind of just replacing a lot of lost production. And, you know, Sherry, I like that move. I mean, the, the move for Skinner, it's when you have as many draft picks and as many young players as the Sabres do, it makes sense to trade away some pieces that aren't key pieces for a sure thing. I mean, you make that move 10 times out of 10. Any team would. Um, it becomes, you know, different. And I'm actually kind of writing about this right now for the athletic, looking at all the possible scenarios, whether to sign Jeff Skinner, what that looks like, comparable contracts, comparable players, trade him, you know, who is a likely trade partner, what should they target? And then what do you use that cap space for if you don't sign him? Right. Cause you have to take into account all of those things. Um, but when you look at all of that together, you think the saber, okay. The big reason the sabers have, possibly jump forward has been the emergence of Rasmus Dahlin. The forwards, they've kind of largely just replaced and kind of kept the status quo. They really haven't improved the depth of the team. Is there a way, is there a way for the Sabres to, I, I, I hate, I hate, I really don't like when people say win a trade or lose a trade or any of that. Is there a way for the Sabres to come out ahead in a scenario where they don't sign Jeff Skinner long-term? I just, I, I know you can recoup some of the assets you gave up to get him in a trade. I just don't understand. If you're the Buffalo Sabres and you've been rebuilding for what feels like a century, why then trade for Jeff Skinner just to flip him again? Well, I think it, it comes down to a, a couple things. It is One is, you know, what does he eventually sign for? I mean, because, you know, if he goes to market, the Sabres obviously have the advantage because they can, they can offer him that eighth year. And if he goes to market, obviously he's going to get seven years. So, so what does he sign for? And, you know, if it's, you know, like I think Kane signed for about like nine, 
nine and a quarter percent of the cap hit. I think it was around seven. I think it was seven million exactly. You know, he's had very similar, very comparable production, Jeff Skinner, for a large part of their career. But the numbers you see thrown around with with Skinner are like eight, eight and a half, nine million, and the cap. You know, that was that contract was just signed what eight, seven, eight months ago. So I mean, Keynes, that is. So are you really going to give Jeff Skinner ten percent of your cap? You know, have an eight. Eight and a half, eight, eight, eight and a half million dollar player for the next eight years. That that's a lot for, you know, player who's he's a good player. Um, you know, he's not. He gives a lot. He gives some back defensively, but he still is a net positive overall, which is what you want. But his main asset is goal scoring. He's he's and, a really good second banana. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we know we know from you know lots of work people have done on aging curves that once you hit thirty, you know, goal scoring typically falls off a cliff or it can get ugly in a hurry. So I'm not worried about his next four years. Like he'll sign at age 27. Like I'm not worried about what he looks like at 29, 30. Like those next four years, they're going to be really good years, especially if he's next to Eichel, right? Because Eichel's going to be there for forever. And yeah, he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's the coach, the GM, he's everything with that team, right? So, um, but let's say, you know, age 31, which is so we're, I mean, we're talking ways out now, but do you really want an eight, eight and a half million dollar asset who starts to depreciate and then starts to depend on playmakers at that point, right? Because he's not an exceptional play driver. He's very good, but you do wonder about players like this that get paid top level dollar, but don't necessarily have the play driving results at both ends of the ice to support that. So can they win? Uh, I mean, it dep- I mean, if they do flip him, it depends on what it is for, right? I mean, St. Louis is rumored to everybody's on the market. So, I mean, if they were to somehow package him to St. Louis and for, you know, let's say Colton Paranko and, you know, he becomes a mainstay in Buffalo, like I would sign him for that right away because the Sabres, you know, have had no defenseman here forever. So uh, I think that's a much better fit and better need for the team and personally, you know, if they flip him for a bunch of spare parts and pieces like they did Ryan O'Reilly, well, then that's just terrible. I don't think they're going to do that. So I think it be, it's a unique situation because normally with a goal score, you would say, okay, we're going to sign him for like eight years. And then the last four, we just kind of hope he's good. I mean, he could very well play each of those eight years on Jack Eichel's wing. So it's a little different because Eichel's still, what, five years remain from his prime. Right. So, I mean, he's he might extend Jeff Skinner's prime. So it, it's a very interesting uh, situation to analyze. Would you think that Jeff Skinner would sign for anything less than eight years or you don't believe that would happen? Uh, I mean, probably not. I mean, I mean, because you want the, the, the guarantee. Right. Um, I mean, unless you're burgling and just go AWOL and then your contract's gone. But um, if it were up to me, I would offer probably significantly more dollars for like four years and then keep him here, you know, for basically the last of his prime years, maybe like a four year, you know, give him 10 million or $11 million a year. Right. Because you can kind of take that hit. Cause the Sabres have a ton of money coming off the cap right. next year and the year after that. Um, I mean, you can make it up, make it up next year just by not bringing back Pommonville. And, you know, they have Scandella and Bogosian and, some other play in Hunwick all coming off the year after that. So, I mean, there's money, there's room there. Um, they don't have many bad contracts other than a Poso and Ristolainen. So I, th- I mean, it depends on what he wants. Like if he just wants, has like five years left, right? Am I wrong? 
I think Risto is like four and Akposo might be five. That's why I said Akposo. I think he's got five, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those are the only two that like you look at and be like, yeah, you know, if there's a way to get out from under those, you know, expansion draft to Seattle, you know, hopefully. But uh, we'll, we'll see. We're getting way ahead of ourselves now. But um, <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, I think a, maybe a shorter term, maybe he'd be tempted, you know, if the, if the, if the money would work out. And that gives him, you know, if, if he produces and, and there's no no reason to suspect he wouldn't, then he's coming up at age 31 and still has a chance for one more big payday. So, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what he's thinking. I think the players tend to want the max deal in terms of the term for that assurances and that safety. That but, sense. you know, if you could offer, you know, an extra 20 30% in money and the extra opportunity to cash in again in four-year times, you know, maybe he'd consider it. I think that works best for it, Buffalo, right? Like, that would be your prime. Uh, that would be the best thing for the team. I think so. I mean, keeping him for the next four years and, you know, because they, cause they're not going to need – you know, Darlene, he's got, you know, two more years after that is on his ELC. Um, you know, Middlestat, you know, he's got two more years on his ELC. Who knows what he turns into? They do have to pay Reinhardt in two more years, uh, and they'll have to pay Pilot if he continues to, you know, play well But uh, in two years. And, and who knows what the rest of the roster looks like. But uh, they don't have many long-term deals, and I just don't know if you want to add uh, a player who – you know, could set up for a really bad back half of that deal. I want to, I want to get to Middlestead, but before I just want one more question on Skinner. Do you think ownership can sell to the Sabres fan base, a Skinner trade to push the buck a little further down this rebuild road? At what point do Sabres fans break and say, at some point I'd like to not be rebuilding? Well, I mean, it, I mean, every, Smart organization should always be buying and selling, right? Because you're always trying to maximize this year in season. I mean, because every team would love to have a deep playoff run every year, no matter what they sell to the in public and are talking about rebuilding. I mean, if you can rebuild and retool or whatever you want to call it and still go to the playoffs and have a fun run, I mean, because once you get to the playoffs, I mean, it's it's largely random compared to the regular season, right? right. So, um, <clears throat> especially in a game like hockey. Unless you're the wild, so, then it's all yeah, the same. What'd you say? Unless you're the wild, then it's the same every year. Well, right, yeah. The wild are just perennial first round. Yeah, I mean, th- th- I think there's when they get the schedule from the NHL, I think it only goes to the end of April. That's so, <laughs> um, yeah, they're just they're doomed from the start. But, uh, but, <laughs> but, um, I, I think they want to maximize what they can do this year, and if they can get to the playoffs, that'll be just huge. That alone would be huge for the fan base, and I think that buys them a lot of goodwill. But. I mean, they have to do kind of keep in mind their timeline and where they're at and be realistic and honest about how good they are and not try to accelerate that through unnecessary moves. Like, you don't want to be trading away picks for players on expiring contracts just to get you into the playoffs, right? You don't want to pull a New Jersey what they did last year. And, you know, because it's, it's pretty similar, right? I mean, they're riding the Devil's Road. Taylor Hall all the way to the playoffs mm-hmm. and got bounced and gave up a couple picks and young prospects for, you know, month, two months of Grabner and Patrick Maroon. And the Sabres are riding Skinner and, and Eichel and Reinhardt in that line. So you don't want to give up assets for, I don't even know who some of the popular free agents are right now, but uh, just for a couple months of rentals and then de- deplete your, your reserves and your pipeline. But if you could flip Skinner for a younger player, that you know will be around and has had good results already, I think it becomes easier for fans to say, you know what, they made this move. We had a lot of fun this season. We made the playoffs. 
and you know now we're not going to be we don't we can still try to sign him in the summer but now we have definitely have another young piece kind of locked in and we kind of retool and keep going i can see that uh so Middlestad, he he's he's become an interesting character i think in in the nhl picture because people seem to be in one of two camps and it, there really doesn't seem to be a gray area it's either Casey Middlestad is a perennial all-star in the future <laughs> and he's developing, or Casey Middlestad is one of the worst first-round draft picks the NHL has ever seen. And there's there's kind of a low-key Ranger storyline that is always follow around Middlestad. It obviously things haven't gone according to plan for Leah Sanderson. I still think it's very early for anyone to make any sort of declarative statement about what kind of player Leah Anderson is going to be. But for whatever reason, it always feels like Ranger fans go out of their way to measure Anderson against Middlestead. So I, I, I've just always been trying to find someone who will ride the line on Middlestead and just give me a, a down-the-middle opinion of them. I'm not, I'm not saying you're the guy to do it, but <laughs> I, I do think your opinion on Middlestead will be interesting, especially from a non-Ranger fan point of view. I think Middlestat is a prime example of why people shouldn't pay that much attention to the World Juniors when it comes to, to player evaluation. Okay, you know, so and, it should be watching. Okay, right, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're in the obviously we're in the midst of not quite in the midst of it, but it's you know it it, it continues to amaze me just how I mean every year there is so much focus and attention put on this 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 tournament, and I mean. Yeah, it's like whatever a prospect does at this tournament kind of stays with them, right? And that that's what people remember. And you know, Middlestat, you know, had a good World Junior, and then he had like six games with the Sabers where he, I think, he had like eight points in six games or something towards the end of last year. And and that's like all people remember. Like they they kind of ignored and explained away his you know relatively average um, you know production. Uh, you know, granted, he was, you know, a freshman in college and, you know, still like a point per game player, I think. But, you know, I wrote an article in the summer looking at it like the NHL equivalency and, you know, it wasn't fantastic. You know, you had several players above him uh, on the list. And, you know, I think he, he's been, you know, better than expected. But that again, that might be simply because of the the backlash, you know, against some of the scouting that, that came out against him and. He's still very young, and, and you know we'll wait and see. I mean, you know, players don't really hit their prime until like their mid twenties. So, um, and there's not a lot of depth around him. They have most of their talent on the top line. So, I mean, he's playing with you know Connor Sherry, who's a decent scoring player, but he's not going to drive a line. And you know, Akposo or, or Thompson, and you know, these are a lot of players still trying to either you know salvage their careers in Akposo or trying to establish themselves uh, like Thompson as well. And um, so I think he's been okay, but man, just the, the buzz and excitement that, that came with him. I just kept looking for reasons why, and I just, I couldn't really find anything. Um, you know, it just, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. It, it, it didn't help either that the very smart prospect guys, you know, a lot more about prospects than I'll ever know in my entire life were saying he was the steal of the draft ahead of guys like Elias Pedersen. And then we see yeah. everything Pedersen's doing this year, and it's just oh, a, it's a, it's a tough look. Yeah, I mean that's and that one that was still kind of like late into the summer too. He was still like ranked ahead of Pedersen, and like you know you like people ranked uh, 
you know, like prospects in the NHL, like under the age of, you know, 21 or 22 or whatever. And you still see Millsat that high. And I'm just like, and I remember being out there, like watching the, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the watching the game card for people right now. I was there like, you go. know, watching him in the, in the prospect tournament in Buffalo. And I'm just kept waiting. Like, like, okay, you going to show us something like, like what's going on here. And it's just like, he was getting outplayed by like Rasmus Asplund and Victor Olofsson and, and Tate and Tage Thompson. And, it's like, who oh boy. And and you went as soon as they made that Ryan O'Reilly trade, you just knew that okay, oh my God, they're penciling middle set in as their second line center. And like just man, has that just if they still had Ryan O'Reilly, this team would actually be pretty darn good. But uh you know, it's people getting caught up in World Junior. So whatever you see over the next, you know, ten days, you know, just uh say, Oh, that was fun, but don't get attached to it. So all right, so don't get excited that Vitaly Kravtsov already has a goal and assist. Right. John Miller looks really go. good in the United States. Okay, sounds good. We won't do that. Um, yeah, great. I don't even know who those players are. Great, so wonderful. You shouldn't. Keep your hands <laughs> off. Uh, Greg, are we done with Buffalo questions? Do we want to go to the book? Um, well, I just – my last Buffalo question. I So, Ryan, you have no reason to know this, but I work in local news, and part of the station I work for works with a station in Buffalo. And – if anything happens sports-wise in Buffalo, Bills, Sabres, doesn't matter. If someone farts, it's breaking news in Buffalo. <laughs> How exactly does that fan base quantify everything that's happening with the Sabres this year? Because from where I sit, it's insanity. And I, I'm just looking at it as I I don't have any gripes. I don't have an axe to grind against Buffalo. I got I got no bone to pick with them whatsoever. It just it looks like an average at best team. But if, if you were to interact with anyone from Buffalo, they'd say it's, this is not just a playoff contender, but someone that's going to surprise in the springtime. Well, I mean, you, you got to take in the context of, you know, Buffalo sports for the last, I don't know how many years, right? I hey, mean, hey, the Bills made the playoffs last year. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, the bills made the playoffs, but I mean, <laughs> like if you run that season through a hundred simulations, they probably make it in one. So, um, it's like Doctor Strange and the Infinity War. You know, there's one possible way, and I think the Bills had it last last year. But uh, you know, the Bills. I mean, who knows what's going on with them? And, and you know, but I, I don't think many people have much trust in in, in the Bills front office and in that team building a, an actual contender. But uh, you know, the Sabers. You know, they they acquired. You know, they they tanked for McDavid and, and they missed a lottery ball, which you know happens. You know, the the Leafs could very easily have wind up with uh you know who went who went third in that draft when Matthews Lion A he's on the Blue Jackets and I was just watching him play uh, yeah Pierre Luc Dubois right yep. so I mean they could have wind up with him or Pooh um instead of Matthews or Lion A right and then what are we saying about the Leafs right so it's you know you, you can do things that way but you know if the lottery ball doesn't go your way that year you know you're going to be judged for that and you know Eichel is a good player. He scores a lot. You know, he doesn't have great play driving results, but um, there's obviously talent there. And, you know, they got Reinhardt, who's a, who's a very good player. They've got Darlene now. Um, so I think that there's much more to be excited about for the Sabres going forward. Uh, but I think it's perfectly fine for, you know, Buffalo Vans to be excited and, and get crazy excited this year because it's the first time in forever that, it's been fun, you know, to be a hockey fan in Buffalo. So, and I'm, you know, I'm going back to, 
I mean, hell, when I was in college and in the, the Briere and Drury days and, you know, that those teams and, and how fun those were, um, you know, really hasn't felt like that since 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 those days around here. So. All right. I mean, I, I, I've drank in Buffalo before. I'm like a couple of my friends went to college in Geneseo. Uh, watching games, even regular season games up there were was absolutely insane. Those guys, people yep. go crazy. Uh, let's talk about your yep. book. All right. Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics, available on Amazon now. I'm not an analytics guy. Greg is more of an analytics than guy than I am. But, Greg, you would say you're not, like, also an analytics guy, correct? I would say I'm a novice at best. I'm still trying to get my head around everything. What should be our biggest takeaway from Tape to Space? Hmm, that's a good question. Thank you. I should have a good answer for this, but I don't. Um, I guess, well, I, I guess just biggest takeaway is that you know as we continue to learn more about player evaluation about you know various events in hockey and like the tying that like you know the, like the big this kind of really took off with you know like zone entries right mm-hmm. and work done on zone entries and it's like hey you get more shots if you enter with possession versus when you dump it in it's like oh well that makes sense and so but it, it kind of opened a lot of eyes and doors to what else can we measure that impacts game strategy and you know through myself and many other people in, in the field just different projects different things people have written about from you know when to pull the goalie on power plays and you know number of forwards versus defenders and you know optimal areas to shoot from versus to pass from on the ice like if you kind of look at all that information you know, and what it's telling you, then there are definitely ways to, you know, from a coaching standpoint, kind of optimize how your team plays, right? You want to make these areas uh, or make these certain actions um, during various passages of play uh, a focus. And you want to reinforce, you know, you look at basketball, an example of like the three-point shot revolution that we see, right? And, and like everyone or most teams kind of follow the Rockets and, you know, taking something to their extreme logical conclusion you know, and so this book looks at all of the advancements we've na- made it as a community over the last number of years and basically sets about a way to kind of diagram uh, plays that incorporate this research into the tactical approach. So it's, so what's the biggest takeaway? Just I think that process, right? Not necessarily the conclusions I found in there is that um, just the process of what's the data telling us? Okay, so we want to enter the zone with possession more. We'll continue that example. What are ways we can maximize how we break out and how we play in transition that will lead to more of those situations? Right. So it's kind of working backward from that. So, Ryan, this is a question I've asked. We've had uh, the twins from Evolving Wild on. We've had Sean Tierney on. We've had Nick Mercadante on. We've had uh, Drew Way on. We've had a lot of guys that are very clearly smarter than us when it comes to analytics on this podcast because we're just two idiots who happen to have microphones and for some reason smart people like to talk to us. It was very easy. I bought the (laughs) Uh, mic on Amazon. Yeah. My my question to you, while you were writing this book, did you feel like you had to be a little extra sensitive to the very vocal, non-analytic crowd that follows hockey? Because – Ryan and I are big baseball guys, and it, it it sure feels like the baseball analytic revolution went a, a whole lot smoother than the analytic embrace the hockey community is going through. Have you 
Have you felt like at any point you've had to walk on eggshells a little bit or explain things a certain way to a audience that isn't as embraceive about advanced analytics as other sporting communities might be? Uh, Maybe like when I kind of first started out doing this, but not anymore. I mean, you know, like some people, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you guys do this, but you know, there's obviously people out there that frame it as this analytics versus old school, or you can't measure this or you can't measure that. I mean, first of all, you know, we, we can transplant hearts from people to another, right? We put people on the moon. Like we can analyze a fucking game on ice. I'm sorry. I don't know if I could say that. You absolutely fucking say it. Yeah, you're good, dude. So, So like the idea, I mean, you know, like, sequencing the human genome right we can't analyze a game on ice where they shoot a rubber biscuit at a net like come come on like so so people that do that you know i think that just kind of helps you accelerates the process of is this someone that really knows what they're talking about and is this someone that is worth the time to explain things to and most coaches most players most people that come up you know no hockey from that side of things like the, the hockey lifer I've played, I've coached whatever. And I'm kind of new to analytics. You know, they've always, you know, been looking at information and processing information and looking to gain an edge somehow. Right. And it's just, it's just become more mainstream right now, more popular. So most people, when you actually sit and talk with them, you know, most people are very open, very, very amenable to, to learning about different methods. And you know, and part of the, part of the book is, you know, I took a year kind of really off from hockey Twitter, if you will, and writing. And, you know, I coached for a year and tried out a lot of these ideas. And, you know, in the book, I write about what, you know, what worked, you know, how other coaches kind of helped me, you know, build drills that would kind of maximize, you know, ideas I had for the game. And, you know, and there's plenty of disagreement with some of the coaches on, you know, how to proceed and, and what the reasons are for certain things. And, you know, I think that most all of my experience for the most part was, was very productive because when you have people that are obviously smart and know their craft, whether it's analytics or whether it's, you know, coaching or skill development, you know, you can have really productive conversations and learn a lot uh, because you both care about, you know, winning and, and, or developing kids and, and doing all that. So most people, I would say, you know, they want to learn just as much as as you want to learn or I want to learn from their expertise and the people that kind of, you know, throw up the you can't measure heart, you know, in a locker room or, you know, whatever, like those right. people are just idiots and you don't need to ever listen to them. What? So. Okay. All right. Well, I got to stop saying that to people. Um, I, just, <laughs> I just I just want to know what that year off from hockey Twitter was like. That that sounds like fucking heaven. Yeah, it was. It was. I was a lot happier a year ago. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you're still living in Buffalo. I don't know how much happier it could have been. Technically, I live in, in Brockport, which is between Rochester and Buffalo. Listen, so. a- Ryan, everybody knows Brockport, okay? Relax. Of course, yeah. Yeah, we all know it. Um, it's like, you know, the Mecca of Western New York, so. Yeah, the, the Mecca. That's what everyone says. I'm going to the Mecca. Oh, Brockport? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what inspired you to write this book, actually, out of curiosity? Because um, it's not an easy task. I can imagine to write 296 pages. Of, of well, I mean, that exaggerates. It. There's like there's like 120 okay, stop, diagrams in there, which Ryan. take up half a page on their Ryan, own. Ryan, so. stop! I'm trying to pump you up. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate. No, I appreciate that. I'm just a very humble guy. I'm a big picture um, guy, anyway, so it makes it better for us. Exactly right. You know, if I can get away with you know pictures, then obviously more people are going to incline to flip through it. So, um, 
I, I guess it really like I've always you know the reason I got into analytics is because I had questions and I want data wasn't there to to analyze things and answer questions and so this book kind of just represents you know hey you know we, we've we've done a lot of work as a community on things and you know I've tried out a lot of this coaching and doing a lot of research you know on other coaches presentations and talking to coaches um, and this is kind of a a new way to think about how we can play the game. Right. It's kind of like a, you know, kind of a inserting this mindset and this process into the discourse around hockey and how we analyze it and how we tactically prepare for teams and, and how we play, which, which really is not a whole lot of like there's, um, you know, there's a lot of books, uh, you know, out there that cover systems that, you know, here's where the players go in a one, two, two. Here's where they go in a two, one, two. But like there's not a lot that gets into kind of like the philosophy of how you want to play and, and how you want to manipulate space to, 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 you know, find the open man to beat the defense. And so, you know, part of this book is very analytically friendly and part of it is very kind of sports tactical philosophy friendly. And, um, you know, I think it's a good kind of meeting of the minds or, or meeting of the different worlds, if you will. And, uh, so what inspired me is kind of just kind of reset the conversation on how we should play hockey. Over under one and a half of these type of books, do you think Elaine Vino has read in his life? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's only been out for like a week, so he probably hasn't read this one. These but, kind uh, of books, where you know, I, I'm I'm going I'm going under. Yeah. I've watched him coach a hockey team for. Well, I mean, years. you know, he's he's had pretty good results his career. Yeah, know? he's had Hall of Fame goalies that he can lean on throughout his career. That is correct. Well, I mean, you know, if uh, if if 2011, you know, against the Bruins, if that goes differently, I mean, how much do you think that changes the perception of him? For us? Uh, if he still comes to New York and I still have to witness the things I witnessed after 2015, I don't know if it changes yeah. the perception for me. All right, all right. Maybe not for you, but I, I do wonder if uh, the, the, the greater public, you know, if they end up beating the Bruins, um, you know, in the final in 2011, which they were a better team that year. Well, um, so Trotz won the final. How do you do? You feel differently about him now? He wasn't exactly the most popular coach in Washington. No, no, certainly. Not. Well, never. I mean, Trotz. You know, he, he he did fairly well with his time. Uh, you know, Nashville and, and having a competitive team there with limited resources for so long. Right. But uh, I think Trotz. One of his big things was, um, you know, scratching younger players. You know, and I think you see this a lot with older coaches. He's still doing that, by the way. Right? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of why I bring it up. Is you know, I think last year was what uh, Jacob Verana with the the Capitals, who was you know obviously super talented, and you, you know at some point, you know, if you're going to scratch them or, or give them limited minutes with uh, you know grinders, let's say, and they can't maximize their skill, you know, how much of that is just ego, or like what is a player actually learning from that? So. Got it. The, NHL, the NHL sure loves to chew up coaches, though. I think, correct, correct, you guys can disagree with me. I feel like the only coaches that are aging well, per se, I feel like Paul Maurice, people are warming up to him. Peter Laviolette seems to have a very high Q rating. Uh, Joel Quenville, despite him being fired, I feel like everyone still loves Joel Quenville. Outside of those three, is there anyone we can say is – Universally loved. John, I feel like every, John, I feel like you can. John Cooper. No, I yeah, feel like I think Cooper's got to be probably almost number one. Yeah, I think Cooper's I mean, up there. I I, I, mean, feel, I like I feel like I've heard people criticize Cooper before. 
Well, I mean, if you're a coach, I mean, you're going to get you're, fired. No matter what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, it, it, it would be nice. Like, what I like about, I mean, the Rangers turning to, to Quinn, for example. You know, I, I, I hope, you know, more teams kind of look outside the the coaching circle, if you will, of, you know, recycled coaches. Right. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. I, I would have been so frustrated if the right rain. I'm frustrated by a couple of things David Quinn is doing. Don't get me wrong. I would have been yeah. 10,000 times more frustrated if they just hired a retread coach. If Lindy Ruff right. was just the coach, I would have just, you know. Or even, or even Bill Peters. Like, go outside the box. At least make a mistake by being aggressive. I'm fine with right. that. Right. Exactly. Because, you know, because you, you're not going to see changes in the way the game's played if, if the same coaches just kind of go, you know, hop across the country to different open jobs. And, you know, part of that is obviously with, you know, GMs, right? I mean, I, I can't remember who wrote the article, but, um, you know, the NHL, their GMs are predominantly either former players or, you know, related to former players or, or staff more than like any of the other major sports. By a lot, so, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 I can only imagine. I think baseball is probably number two. I'm just going to guess. I don't know why. I just feel. Uh, like... I, I, I disagree with that. I don't know of any former player that's a GM in baseball right now. Oh, GM, you're right. Never mind. I was thinking more yeah. of like a coaching positions and everything else. Well, yeah, all the all the coaches are either relievers or former catchers. Former but catchers, general managers, yeah. I feel like every general manager has a Harvard law degree. Now. Yeah, they're all white fat nerds for the most part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if there's going to be like you know changes behind the bench in, in philosophy, uh, you know, of how they want teams to play and just different, you know, uh, open to new ideas, you know, it's probably going to start in the front office first. And you you look at you know most teams, you know, have someone or, or staff that's you know analytically inclined um and so you do wonder if you know five years down the road do any of them you know become gms right uh you know obviously you look at dubas in toronto and you know how soon you know this is kind of why like i I hate to do this because you hate rooting for toronto but you do kind of like if they can win and like this season or next season and, and they can succeed in the short term uh does that you know, have a positive impact on the rest of the league and then become a, a smarter league and help the game become better. You know, so, so you, you know, I never want to root for Toronto because I don't you know they're terrible. They're terrible, but uh, um, I mean, they're not a terrible team. I just mean they're fans, but uh, that was obvious. Uh, I, uh... <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, does that have a better impact, you know, on the Rangers, right? Do they, their front office, you know, do they then, you know, enhance their analytics staff. Do they bring in some smarter minds? And then people like to point, you know, it's a copycat league, everyone likes to say. So if you can, you know, it's always, you know, well, they Chicago won with speed and skill, so we got to get that. LA won with big, heavy players, so we got to get that. Well, if Toronto can win with brains, then... And like two, ridiculously, to maybe three, and a future Hall of Famer, All-Stars. Right, so. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah, that's a big part of it, too. But so that's a big part of it, can can owners look at that and say, hey, why don't you know? There's no salary cap for my staff, right? Front office staff, my hockey research and development. So why don't I just throw a million bucks into a budget here? And does that have a cascading effect throughout the league? The Rangers should be definitely doing that if they're not already. Well, any team that can print money, like Toronto Rangers, Chicago, I mean, LA. they absolutely should. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, anything else we want to get to, Greg? Uh, I, I can't, I think Ryan has done a terrific job of covering just about everything. 
Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, a happy new year to you. And uh, before we go, why don't you plug all your stuff? All righty. So, so obviously you mentioned the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at Amazon, uh, Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. Um, <clears throat> we're past the Christmas season now, so it actually ships, I think, within a day or two when you order it. Um, I'm still waiting on mine to be shipped, though. Which uh, we're, we're recording on uh, December 27th. It says if I order right now, I can get it by Monday. So. There you go. There you go. So you'll have it soon. Uh, you know, it's it's a very good book. If I don't, if I do say Whoa, so myself. Hot take. Other people. What'd you say? <laughs> hot take. Yeah, hot take. Yeah. <laughs> um, other people agree with me, and you know, uh, no one's ever been wrong when they agree with me. So, so there you go. Um, good, great. Yeah, I would just you know go get that. Go read it. Tell me what you think about it. If you hate it, and tell me, I probably won't you know respond because I'll probably mute you. But. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, I always not, love. You're not kidding. You're an honest man. I love you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, that's that's kind of been the big thing. I'll be pushing that for a while, so I appreciate the opportunity. You know, come on and, and talk about it. I, I really, you know, do think it'll be, uh, you know, kind of a first step towards just changing, you know, the discourse around, you know, how we play the game, and uh, you know, hoping for uh, some positive things to happen from it. And other than that. You know, if you're interested in, in Sabres analysis, uh, <laughs> Rangers fans, but uh, I write about that over the athletic and yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it for me right now. I got you. You can follow Ryan Stimson at RK underscore Stimp. There you go. On Twitter. Thanks, man, so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, we're back. We're only here to plug stuff. I know you're so excited. Um, if you're in the New York City area, January 12th, Greg and I will be doing a Meet up and drink up for Islanders versus Rangers. Also, the NFL playoffs week two, week two, the NFL playoffs. Am I right? Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. that sounds right. Sure, tickets are on sale right now. You can go to our Twitter at Blue Shirts Break. It's the pinned tweet. You can buy them. It is an open bar. It's thirty five dollars. We'll be hanging out. Probably be getting a little bitch wasted. So we'll see. Um, and then on top of that, I don't know. Uh, we might do a live show. Shug, not recording. Uh, if I will, yeah, I will say this. If 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 we do a live breakdown analysis of the game with our friends from Gotham Sports, yeah, it's not going to be recorded and posted on our feed. So the only way you're going to be able to hear it is by coming out. For sure. Uh, and sorry for the people that – because we, we, we literally aren't setting up stuff this time. I'm not lying. <laughs> no, this, this is a – yeah, this is 100%. We're going there to watch the game, yep. and we are offering up our services to Offside Tavern if they want us to do something after the game. But if not it – is, It is not going to be recorded – I'm not going to be sober, so I don't really want I it. I don't want it recorded. We'll probably say some dumb shit. All right. Uh, anything else? I mean, we say dumb shit anyway. Yeah, that's true. We've said a lot of stuff in this podcast. Uh, you can go right now to patreon.com to support us. You can throw us a dollar for the new year. Be like, oh, wow, Blue Shirts Breakaway. We'll listen to you every single week. Here's a dollar. Thanks. We still have 17 sweaters, uh, holiday sweaters left. We do. We might have less after I offer them up to some of our friends who said they were interested. I have at least two people that say they're interested from around here. So it's probably 15. If you want one and you don't want to be a Patreon subscriber, slide into our DMs. We'll talk. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure something out. Or you could just be a great fan. Be a Patreon subscriber. Be a Patreon subscriber. I'm just crying. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you had a great year. Hope you're listening to this super hungover and saying, why are you talking to me like this? Uh, hope you enjoyed our show. We'll be back next week with more Chris Kreider talk and uh, Mika Sabinajak because I have a lot more to say about that for sure. Love you guys. Follow us on Twitter, Bush Break, and me and O'Reilly. Bye. Oh, my God.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.